Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to be talking about the body love card, Satisfaction. And the goddess in the front is standing under an apple tree, and there's apples all over the place. There's an abundance of apples. She's got one in her hand. And her little deer is looking at her. It's just a very sweet card. It feels like, you know, there's enough. There is enough, which I did not feel like that when I was suffering from my eating disorder. There was either too much or not enough. This is good that it's named satisfaction. The back of the card reads, satisfaction is knowing exactly what you need in the moment and giving this to yourself. When you can identify exactly what your body hungers for and give this to yourself without restriction and judgment, then you will experience satisfaction. What your body is hungry for may be different than what your mind thinks you should eat or what you are emotionally craving. So I love this idea that we can trust our body. It knows when to eat. It knows when to stop. It knows what it wants. But our mind will override that. And especially if you have an eating disorder, it will tell you something completely different. And for many of us, you have to wait until your body and your mind are working together a little bit better. Because when I first started to recover, I got very confused. I didn't really know if I was hungry or full or anything, and I had to have guidance for that. We're lucky we have somebody really wonderful today on our program who does just that and has written a great book called The Eating Disorder Trap. So I'm going to introduce her. And she'll go from there and um, tell us what she's doing and why she picked Satisfaction. So hello, Robin. Hi, Lorley. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here with you. So tell me, why did the Satisfaction card speak to you? Why was that the one that you chose to talk about today? So that, that was the one that just pulled me in. Because I know when we think about the principles of intuitive eating, satisfaction is really, if not the most important, one of the most important principles. But when a person is struggling with an eating disorder, they have confusing signals. And it's sort of like I like to describe if, you know, you had a broken arm, your broken arm would need support. It would be in a cast. It could be in a splint if it wasn't at that level of needing complete support. And what I like to say is when an individual struggling with an eating disorder, the eating disorder voice, Ed or Edwina or whatever one likes to to name it, (laughs) is so loud. That's the voice that we listen to. And to trust what our body's telling us is not only a very scary concept, 
but it's not possible to do if you're malnourished, if you're not getting enough carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And I'll hear clients say, I think I eat enough. I eat enough. And there's the restriction. They're excluding a specific food or food group. So there's a blur. I like to say it's sort of like you're looking out the window, but there's a screen and you're like, I can't really see you. It's not sharp and crisp. And when a person is weight restored, when they're able to have their organs be at a place that they're working optimally, then that's like the really exciting time when they are able to really dig deep to understand what satisfaction is for them. But in the beginning, it's needing some handholding and nurturing and clarifying misconceptions so a person can actually understand that. So I felt like satisfaction is something that we all deserve and want to achieve physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's really why I picked it because I kind of feel like it's the whole kit and caboodle. It is. It's true. And I know for my clients and for myself, when I was struggling, I would overeat, I would undereat, and then I would just eat what I called crazy. (laughs) You know, whatever, I would smush a bunch of diets together. And nothing really satisfied me because I was always on some kind of thing that I read in the same kind of paper that said I had Elvis's baby on Mars. Like it just would be this insane diet. And I would think, yes, this is what I'm going to go on. So I was tainted by all of these different messages and really took a long time to feel the message from my own body because I didn't like my body forever for a long time. You know, I had to sort of make peace with my body and with food at the same time, which was difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, if it was easy, we all would be at the place that, quote unquote, we wanted to be at. But since there's so many obstacles in the world of eating disorders, that's why there's coaches like you, there's registered dietitians, there's therapists, there's providers. It's like it takes a village to help a person, allow them to trust their body and for them to know what their body needs as opposed to some external voice telling them what it needs and what it doesn't need. Yeah. And that's the feedback I get from clients who actually I would really like if they would work with a dietitian that knew about eating disorders or a nutritionist because they'll go to somebody and that person will say, well, you can't eat sugar ever again. And that just won't really help the person who's going to go home and binge on sugar later that day. So it's sort of like I trust people who I know to steer them in a way that won't first do no harm kind of a thing. And I loved your title is the eating disorder trap, but it's a guide for clinicians and loved ones, which, you know, is so confusing for loved ones. And it's confusing for clinicians. Maybe they have their own like little secret eating disorder of some sort too. So it's a great book for that and for the person too. I found a lot of stuff in here. I kind of didn't remember until I read it in your book and it was great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I mean, I really wanted to write a book, Lorely, that was inclusive to all because there's not enough resources for families, 
slash caregivers, caretakers. I mean, they're part of the team as well as the lack of training. That was actually what led to the development of the book, the lack of training that healthcare providers have. I know as a registered dietitian, maybe we had a couple weeks on eating disorders when I was at school, but really, and in my internship, did not have any sort of experience. I mean, through working in a treatment center, being mentored by the best of the best in the field and having clients where I was obtaining supervision. I mean, that's for me because I wish I could say, oh, academically. And, you know, physicians don't even have any training on this. Only the adolescent medicine area is the only area that mandates that requirement and, and physicians have, you know, a semester if that on nutrition, which is not eating disorders. So I think as much as like you said, you know, to not do any harm, I mean, it can't be helped because it's just systemically how the healthcare model has been trained. It's like, it'd be wonderful. And I, that's why I wrote the book. Like every med student has this as required reading, every nurse Every therapist, every dietitian, every nurse practitioner, PT, OT, yeah, so for sure. Yeah, Carol and I, when we wrote It's Not About Food, we were writing it to the person, to the person who was suffering from an eating disorder and body hatred. But we've had several people take our book, It's Not About Food, and give it to their doctor and say, once you read this, I'll come back in because you keep telling me to go on a diet. And I don't think that's the right thing for me right now. <laughs> you know, so so that has been good. And I hope that people do that with your book, you know, and take Thank it you. into their yeah, doctor. I mean, it came out right before the pandemic, a week before the world shut down. So wow. it's been a creative way to put it out there over the last two and a half plus years. But yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. When you talk to other clinicians or you talk to families. I know the families really suffer a lot about this and about their person getting an eating disorder. They don't know what to do. Same thing with doctors or clinicians. They don't know what to do. And I can remember somebody came into group once who was extremely thin, anorexia, and her doctor and her mother and father would just tell her to eat, just eat, start eating. And they'd write it on her hand and put it in her <laughs> in her book bag. And I was like, I don't know. I think she knows about eating. <laughs> I don't think that's the thing. So what do you tell these? Right. Sounds like your question. Yeah. How do you work with parents who are just terrified their child's going to die, you know, and be messed yeah. up? So, Well, the first thing is that they go into their own therapy with an eating disorder trained clinician that's important, as well as taking a look at their own biases and issues they have centered around food and to do that work. Because if you're not addressing your own food beliefs, challenges, that's only going to make the loved one's eating disorder worse. That's that. And then I have a online course with colleague Becca Clegg called Your Recovery Resource that was developed for parents, partners, and caregivers that have a loved one struggling with an eating disorder. It's free. If you go onto my website, askaboutfood.com, you'll put your email and it'll be downloaded. It's 36 modules, videos, handouts, and it's for the loved one to be able to work on their own stuff because there's not a ton of resources for caregivers. There's hardly any. 
Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. It's a place I like to call the Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. And I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, and I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned. Appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating diet, diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously this holiday season. Thank you. And it's so important. I'm so glad you're doing that. And thank you for doing that and that it's free and it's available for people. And I also think that, like, for me, I suffered with an eating disorder all through my 20s. And I had a little boy. And I would make him be in charge of my food because I would say, okay, we're going to go here, but don't let me eat, okay? And he'd go, okay. And so then when I started to go into recovery and I needed to eat and needed to eat a lot of different wide variety of foods, he was very worried, like, Mom, I don't think you're supposed to eat that. So it was a whole thing, you know, but it was me that put him, this child, in charge of his mom's food. Don't let me eat any potato chips, <laughs> you know, it's crazy, which is what happens with an eating disorder. You sort of grasp at anything that will kind of control yourself, you know. And the other thing I want to say too, Laura Lee, is in addition to the caregivers obtaining their own therapy, it's important for them to resolve their own issues centered around food and body too. Yes. Because they may not think what they're doing or what they're saying has an impact, but it completely does. Even if it's body checking and you're looking at yourself and you're making a state, it's all taken in by that loved one. It's completely taken in. A mom with a little girl, if she's always saying how fat she is, that little girl somewhere will get it that probably she is too, which or is what happened to me. Or yeah. you know, non-gender affirming, anyone. Sure, anyone. But I mean, I feel like I came from a family of professional dieters. <laughs> so 
was it surprising that's where I went? Yeah, I mean, when you're not resolving your own stuff and that's the environment you're around, it's bound to come up and it will come up. Yeah. And I can remember my mother went into a nursing home when she had Alzheimer's and the food that they gave her to eat was not really great at all. And she wouldn't eat it, but she would still tell me that she felt really fat. And I would say, Mom, you're 80 and you have Alzheimer's. Give it a rest. You're not fat. You're fine. You know, you're fine. But she still wanted to somehow control that food that they were giving her, which that's how she just lived her almost her whole life anyway. It was very sad. Well, that's it. You said, Lily, she's lived this way her whole life. So you're in your 80s and you have Alzheimer's. Chances are. It's that deep, you know, that's what I'm saying. So when you talk to clinicians, you say the same thing, I bet. 100%. I think supervision is very key. Oftentimes, clinicians are not referring out when they're in over their head and they're not trained in eating disorders or they're making statements like, this is what works for me. This is what I eat. This is what I, it's unnecessary that self-disclosure, I mean, self-disclosure is appropriate when it's going to benefit the client and also to really make sure your stuff is addressed because clients, especially these days, this is not their first time for many that they've been in treatment and they're savvy to language that's used and they're going to recognize if you're still entrenched in your own stuff and you have not obtained support. That's right. And then they're going to want to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, or they're going to leave you. Yeah. I'm thinking about this one mother that I spoke to one time. Her daughter had been putting on some weight, which was good because she was underweight when she came into treatment. But her mother said, frankly, I feel like she's getting a little fat. And I said, she's eating. Let's let her eat. Let's worry about that later. And I don't even know that we'll worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be, I mean, you'd say like, let's worry about it. No, it's sort of like bodies change. Bodies change every That's day. Right. Bodies change all the time. And we're not meant to look the same from one day to one year to one month to the next. Yeah, to myself, I thought a skeleton is really thin. So let's just let her live, eat to live until we figure out. You don't even know. She's only 12. She might be really tall. She might, who knows what. So anyway, I know that there's so much disinformation out there that it gets weary for people who work with young people or old people or middle-aged people who completely are very confused about how to feed themselves and really upset with what their bodies look like almost no matter what. Well, and also the people that they look up to oftentimes have their own problems too. And when you're reading what they're going through, then it gives this unrealistic expectation like, oh, okay, this is how my body could look. We don't think about the augmentation and Photoshop magazines and media, but also when these celebrities are coming forward, speaking about what they're doing to get to this place. And It's just, I think, picking like who your role model is. I always like to say to clients, Laura Lee, like, who is it in your life that you look up to that's been 
a role model and we'll speak about that person. Oh, what is it that you really admire about them? Oh, you know, this person has mentored me through my profession, through how to be kind, how to be get. And they talk about all the different factors and I'll say, you didn't say anything about their appearance. Is it like, oh, you look up to them because they can wear their jeans and this like, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's so funny, Robin. I can't believe you said that. It's like, no, you're naming all the qualities. And that's, <laughs> I think, like, you know, to look right. back in time, like if your 100-year-old self could speak to your 15-year-old self, like what would it say? It wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I really wish I could wear those size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do that exercise. I have peer educators I train to go in with me to ninth grade high schools all over the Bay Area. And we, at some point, do that exercise. Like, what's your real worth? And think of somebody who you really admire and respect and why. And so at the end of it, I'll go, notice that nobody said, or they'll say, the peer educators, nobody said flat stomach. Nobody said perfect lips. Nobody said long legs. And they're like, well, that would be so weird if I said that about my mom or my aunt or my dad. And I'd like, it is weird because <laughs> you really like them for what they are. And they like you for who you are. It goes both ways. So yeah, I love that. What I hear a lot is from my clients who are adults, probably in their late 30s or 40s or even 50s, and their doctor continues to tell them they need to go on a diet. And so obviously they need to have you with them to talk to the doctor. But what would you say to them? Welcome to my world, Laurely. <laughs> There's not a day that passes doesn't come up. So first of all, I think it's important that the client really develops a sense of self where they can respond in a way that might be more intimidating than they envisioned. And I have a handout that I give clients that a colleague had created that they'll bring to a physician's office that will say, please do not discuss my weight with me for all these specific reasons. Like the only time it can be discussed is if I'm going on psychotropic medication and the dose is related to it, if I'm on chemotherapy versus like think of a client who went in for an ear infection and they were like, could you get on the scale? And he was like, you don't need to weigh me. I yes. need my ear examined and need eardrops. <laughs> so I think it's getting to a place within yourself and doing this work that you can say, you know what? The only reason you're asking me for my weight is so when you're audited by insurance carriers, people come in all different shapes and sizes. And I've genetically been a bigger person my whole life, but not even going down that rabbit hole where it could be squashed from the beginning. So I really help arm clients with statements and tools of what they can say and do when they go to the doctor's office. Because I've had in 25 years of being in practice early, I've had thousands of conversations with physicians, some successful, some not so successful. It's constantly like more and more of them are starting to understand and catch on to what health at every size is, but I don't even go down that path. Like, oh, I'm in health at every size. Provider. Oh, what's that mean? And it's like, when they really aren't interested in what you have to say to begin with, I think I like to really frame things in a way, you know what, I help your patients be the experts of their body and feel better about the choices they're making. And I'll say, you know what, your patient can binge on Brussels sprouts, just like they can binge on pumpkin pie. It's not always what they're eating, but why they're eating. And when I talk about that, I'm helping address the psychological issues and 
teaching them like, oh, wow, I never realized that my patient binges. And so when you're saying these things, that's just exacerbating the feelings of shame and criticizing oneself. So as I explain that, like there's many doctors I work with that are like, oh, okay, thank you for telling that. I will not bring it up. Or can you please not weigh them when they come in? It's really contraindicated towards their recovery. And again, I think, you know, being well-known in Los Angeles and starting my career at a major medical center and having solid relationships with many, many providers, I have been able to say that, especially as people know what I do and who I am. It's different, but I think it helps the patient client when they're going in, they're like, okay, yes, I understand. And they won't even bring it up again. But again, I think the longer a doctor's been in practice, many times they're not receptive. It's oftentimes the new generation or a lot of the pediatricians I speak with are receptive. And again, it just depends, but it's literally when you said that, I was like, oh, Laura Lee should be a fly on my wall and see what my days are like. (laughs) No, I realize. I mean, I get it myself. You know, what would I say and what would I do? And I do tell them, don't get on a scale unless there's a big reason why you have to. You're not a child. You're not still growing. If all of a sudden something went wrong, then that's a different thing. But if they need to know because of medicine, then that's a different thing. But that's not what you're going in there with an ingrown toenail. Yeah, don't even exactly. <laughs> don't even do it. Yeah. yeah, and it is. And I'll tell them it's an insurance thing. It's not even a doctor thing. It's an insurance thing. Who cares? Ingrown toenail. That was very funny. <laughs> exactly. But they have. Yeah, for sure. For any, any broken reason. wrist. And well, get on, on the scale. It's like, why? You know? Anyway, so yeah, we could talk all day about that. But I think that I just really love what your book is about. And it's a tool not only for the client, but also for the parent and for the loved one and for the doctor. You know, we have a little one-page sheet that we give out at the schools. What do you say to a friend? If you're afraid that your friend is getting an eating disorder or starting to be weird around food or their weight, and what do you say about that? And I tell them with the statistics that we have that we've been talking about, they're going to know somebody in their life. They're going to be married to them. They're going to have a child. It's going to be their sister. It's going to be their friend. They're going to know somebody that has it. You might as well know what to say that doesn't do more harm. And sorry to interrupt, Lily. It could be to your friend's parents. That's right. It could That's be their right. grandmother. That's right. Yes. Users do not discriminate amongst age, gender. Mm-mm. I mean, I know many older people yeah. who have eating disorders. I know. Oh, so, sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. They'll tell me, you know, my grandma says this or that or another. And I go, your grandma is not correct with that. So don't listen to that part. You know, listen to the part that she loves you. Maybe listen to that. (laughs) Don't try to argue with her that she's not right. You know, she's 80 years old. So let her just be, but take what she really can give you, which is love. It's very hard for them to navigate through these adults. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so I wonder at the bottom of the card, there is uh, today I will. Today I will practice asking myself what my body is hungry for and listen to the answer that my body gives me. 
I will give this to myself with total permission and notice my body's response. Is it physically satisfying and does it feel good in my body? Great. And that's like the place you want to be at, <laughs> you know, after I mean, that's the ideal, that's the sure. ideal for everyone. And I think that normal eaters as rare as they are, maybe this is what they do. They don't even think about it. Really. That's what a baby does. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely what they do. So I wonder if there's anything coming up for you that you want to talk about, any workshop or how does somebody get a hold of you in order to work with you? I'm assuming you can do Zoom and stuff. Yeah, all day long. So <laughs> workshops, not at the moment. I actually have, and I'm waiting for the CEs to come through, so I can't specifically answer there, but I've, I have some online courses that will be going on in addition to my course that is through my website, uh, your recovery resource. My private practice website is askaboutfood.com. And my book website is theeatingdisordertrap.com. And my Instagram is Robin with a Y Goldberg RDN. Okay. And yeah, I am all over. So I'd love to help and be able to support you on your food journey. Yeah. So wonderful that you're in the world. Thank you very much for your work. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.